The Golden Mike Podcast is presented by SeaDeck Marine Products. SeaDeck features non-absorbent closed-cell PE EVA blended foam that delivers the perfect combination of comfort, safety, and style. For more information, check out www.seadeck.com. That's S-E-A-D-E-K.com. Your boat deserves SeaDeck. And now, it's showtime. the official voice of Toad Water Sports for over a decade. His vocal tones have narrated the industry's biggest and most prestigious events in the world. With over 25 years of on-water experience, captivating charisma, and a command of his audience, presented by Sea Deck Marine Products, it's the Golden Mike Podcast, with the noise of the North himself, oh, yeah. Dano the Mano. Hello, everybody, and thank you for tuning into episode 123 of the Golden Mike Podcast. As always, I am the noise of the North. I'm Daniel Mano. This time, I'm recording again from my very, very expensive and lavish and rustic boathouse studio on Lake Sawyer in Windermere, Florida. Thank you for letting me into your ears and into your hearts. In return, I'm here to give you your bi-monthly dose of audio sunshine. Today's episode is brought to you in part by Wake Responsibly. We're in peak boating season. Well, some of us are. Some of us always are. So please, whenever you're on the water, be mindful of other boaters and homeowners and their property. Ensure that you're doing your part to wake responsibly by following some key guidelines and educating others to do the same. It's easy. First, always stay at least 200 feet away from shorelines and docks. Keep your music at reasonable levels and minimize repetitive passes on any one shoreline. Head over to wakeresponsibly.com to find out more info and to take the Wake Responsibly Compliance Exam. If you guys get an A on it, receive a free sticker. You can put that on your boat and remind others to wake responsibly as well. All right, we are back with another stellar episode for all you all. My guest is Wake Park rider extraordinaire, John Dryling. For those of you not familiar with John's body of work, I strongly suggest you check out his Sponsor Me Tape 2019 on his YouTube channel. Is it video edit of the year? Well, my friends, it's a strong candidate for sure. And folks, we talk about it all. His wakeboarding roots, winning his first major cable event overseas, despite everything that was going on in his life, what he was going through at the same exact time, and his search for the perfect sponsor. But before we get into all of that, it's the moment you all have been waiting for. Write a review month or months rather has come to an end. And I got to tell you guys, when I first started this contest, I thought I was going to get a couple of two word reviews talking about how much you want a new wake surfer for free to get swagged out. But what I got was so many thoughtful, in-depth reviews that showed how much you guys genuinely feel about the podcast. I can't lie. Some of them really brought a tear to old Dan of the Mano's eyes. Honestly, I cried. I wish I could cut up this O'Brien wake surfer and send a piece of it to you all, 
but that might actually lead to some negative reviews. So at the end of the day, I had to choose somebody at random. This was literally the hardest random decision I ever had to make that day. But the winner of the brand new O'Brien Wake Surfboard is, drum roll please, and Rich, insert drum roll here. Okay, no drum roll. And the winner is Nick Dawson. Congratulations, Nick. I'll be sending that bad boy out as soon as you shoot me an email to confirm your address. As for the rest of you guys, don't feel bad. There'll be plenty more giveaways and contests in the very near future and plenty other chances to win right here on the Golden Mike Podcast. And of course, you know that if you write that five-star review on iTunes, I'll automatically send free swag straight to your doorstep. All you got to do is take a screenshot of your review once it posts, send it over Golden Mike at noiseofthenorth.com. That's my email. For those waiting on swag, I'll be in the swag factory next week. That's up north in the Chicagoland area. So hope to have them all out to you. Also, I know the majority of you already know this, but for those who don't, you can always listen and share the Golden Mike podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Podcasts, and a wide array of podcast listening apps on Android, as well as my very own website, noiseofthenorth.com. You can also follow the Golden Mike podcast on Facebook and follow me personally on Instagram at Dano T. Mano and on Twitter I'm at the golden underscore Mike and you can do that to stay up with the latest and greatest golden Mike news. Here's a few general news items I want to talk about before we do get into the interview with John Dryling. Our good friend Rusty Malinowski was on a recent episode of the Powell Movement Action Sports Podcast. I suggest you guys all check that out in preparation for my upcoming interview with Rusty due to publish next month. I was actually hanging out with Rusty right after he did this interview, and I'm always happy to support and listen to other podcasters, especially in this space. And Mike Powell, if you're listening, I'd love to have you on the Golden Mike podcast one day. Let me know if you are ever in Florida or next time I make it out to Cali. I'd love to have you on the show. All right, a few episodes back, you may have heard me mention the Wake the World Porsche giveaway at this year's Surf Expo coming up in September down here in Orlando, Florida. Well, I'm super stoked to announce that the Golden Mike Podcast logo will be among the sponsor stickers featured on the car. It's in one of the best spots, too, right there in the front driver's side wheel, prominently displayed for the whole world to see. If you're planning on being at Surf Expo this year, make sure you stop by the Wake the World tent, sign up for the raffle. It's a really, really good cause. And come on, let's face it, having a Porsche would be pretty sweet, too. And speaking of great causes, a big shout out to the Hanger Clinic and Tommy's Slalom Shop for teaming up to put on the Adaptive Wake Surf Tour. They just wrapped up dates in Orlando and Miami and are heading up to Michigan this coming weekend. Every year, they put on a free Adaptive Wake Surfing Clinic for individuals with physical disabilities. This event is for all ages, and all the boats and all the equipment are taken care of. Events like this really show off why wakeboarding and wake sports and water sports are just so great. 
sharing our world with people of all walks of life and putting smiles on their faces. Check out Tommy'sOfDetroit.com for more info on upcoming dates. Last Saturday was also the grand opening of Shark Wake Park 561, an aquatic sports park owned by golf legend Greg Norman and his son Greg Norman Jr. at Okahili Park in West Palm Beach. That place is pretty famous in its own rights. The park is the second wake park for the Norman family after opening one in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina two years ago to the date. The park includes an inflatable obstacle course as well as four and five tower cable systems. Really cool wake park, really cool family. Check it out if you guys happen to be down in South Florida. And here's something else you can keep on your radar. The second annual Twin Lakes Corn Fest will be held on August 16th and 17th in beautiful Twin Lakes, Wisconsin. And it's never too early to get your accommodations in order. Twin Lakes Corn Fest is a two-day festival full of water skiing and water sports in general, live music, and of course, all-you-can-eat corn. As many of you know, this event is very near and dear to my heart, and I'd love for every single one of you guys to be out there eating your body weight in corn. Head over to tlcornfest.com to get all the info, and I can't wait to see you there. Oh, and podcast listeners, David O'Queeve is confirmed he will be at TL Cornfest. So come meet YouTube's favorite wakeboarder. He's one of ours as well. All right, guys, I'm excited to get to our interview and for you guys to hear it. I know wakeboarding always looks like a blast, but behind every rider and every accomplishment is a painstaking journey. I'm talking falls, injuries, and personal struggles, all for that one moment of pure glory. It's the agony and the ecstasy, folks, and that saying couldn't be more true for our guest today. So without further ado, let's get to our interview with the one and only Mr. John Dryling right here on the Golden Mike Podcast. John Dryling, welcome to the Boathouse Studio, dude. Welcome, dude. What do you think? Man, this place is amazing. Super (laughs) cool spot, and yeah, it's beautiful out on this lake, so I'm just excited to be out here with you and hanging out. So let me break it down a little bit the way I see it. Um, currently slingshot pro team rider. Uh, you're from Orlando, Florida. You're a past Langenfeld open champion in 2018, uh, in the WWA wake park world series. Uh, you tied for fifth and features only at the world championships. You tied, uh, I'm sorry. You took third place at nationals and features only, and you got third place overall on the WWA Wake Park World Series. Those are just your credentials over the last couple of years, and those are just some of your credentials because you've done somewhere around 10 contests at least a year. My personal impression of you is you're definitely a passionate rider. Um, and on a board, I would say, uh, the, like the words that kind of, that, that I would say describe your style is like technical, uh, amplitude, and a lot of, creativity those are like some of the words that kind of come to mind did i did i miss anything there or no i think that's that's pretty good (laughs) it's funny you mentioned passion i feel like that's been some good and gotten me in some trouble over the years i think well that's happened to like i think that's kind of happened to uh to all of us and you know like i'm i'm very strong-minded about my views and feelings on toad water sports you'll almost never hear me call it like oh just water skiing or wakeboarding because i don't really care 
I just want people to go out there and have fun and try it in whichever direction they go into. That's to each their own. Even if you even if you want a tube or whatever, I don't really care. I just want people to get out there. I want the sport um, to sustain and to be around for for a long time. Um, I, what are your thoughts on all of that? Because I know you come from a pretty like full on wakeboard background. Yeah, definitely. Um, my background, at least the last ten years, have been all wakeboarding. I mean, my dad skied a little bit, but I I'm a huge fan of just like getting people on the water and having a good time. I don't think it matters what you do. Of course, once you're on the water having a good time, like, um, I mean, everyone has their preferences. I like to wakeboard, so that's what I stick to. But actually, last week, I was just wake skating a bunch. And, um, yeah, I love to hop on a trick ski and try to play around on that. That is so much more difficult than people realize. And, um, yeah, I think that's what it's about, actually. I mean, we'll get into this more later as I talk about my plans in the future, but... Um, I'm trying to embrace more of all the water sports and all the different ways of wakeboarding and different stuff. Because um, in the past, I was definitely more of a rail kicker kind of rider and stuff. So um, as I've gotten older, too, I've just seen um, the impact that some of the other sports have had on each other, you know. And um, yeah, I mean, we'll talk more about it later, but I definitely think we need to embrace more of just all of water sports as a community. All right, cool. Hey, so let's get let's get at it and talk about um, like the early days of wakeboarding for you. So before you, I want to find out um, what you knew about wakeboarding or the wakeboard community um, before you discovered your love for wakeboarding. And with that being said, too, I want to find out when and how you fully got into it. So, what, like, what did you know about wakeboarding, like, or pros or anything like that before? Yeah. So, um, the first experience I really had to wakeboarding, I think, I might mix up a couple of these, but um, there were kind of two things that happened. Um, Kyle Evans, who is a local, used to ride around here and a really good junior pro rider back in the day. Uh, I played football with him growing up in fifth grade or something, and. He wakeboarded at the time, and our dads were friends, and I would just invi- was invited over to his house one day and learn how to wakeboard. I saw him do a back roll, and we were little kids, and I was blown away. I was like, what the heck? Uh, that's so cool. And I was really into skating and all of that, um, so that really sparked an interest. And then every once in a while, my dad would take us to the wakeboard contest at OWC. Um, you know, I grew up here in Orlando, and he was into water sports, so we'd go and we'd see guys. I'd... I remember like the name Froggy and that kind of stuff, like Phil Zovin riding. And my dad was kind of into that, and we bought a wakeboard there. And then I had tried wakeboarding once. It was his wakeboard. It was huge. We didn't know what we were doing. You were, and you were probably doing it behind the ski boat and everything, too, We were doing right? it behind the ski boat running way too fast for a wakeboard because skiing, you ran faster. And I got a front edge once, just like first day learning, and was like, no, never happening again. Uh and we were going, like, I don't know. I mean, definitely faster than you ride on boat. Um, it was a bad situation. <laughs> and so then I just, like, kind of stopped wakeboarding. I mean, I had kind of lost a little bit of interest in skiing at this point um, just because I, I think I'd done it so much. I kind of got burnt out on it when I was younger. And then, um, yeah, when I was 15 again, some kids at high school were like, oh, let's go behind the boat. Um, they had a boat, they liked to wakeboard and I went behind the boat with them one day. Uh, we were just trying to get any air off like one wake, just like two inches. And we were super excited just to get the board out of the water. Um, so I did that. Um, and 
they told me about a cable park and they were like, oh yeah, there's this cable park. They have a discount like 16 and under on Mondays. So in the summer they would take me. And at that point I was like, this thing's really fun. Um, like I was just having a lot more fun. It was a lot more controlled. We were running the right speeds on the boat and stuff. And I was so just you're riding doing boat with friends. and cable at this time, or are you ride? No, you... it was just that one boat set. Gotcha. Just at that friend's house. I never went back and rode boat at my house. I don't. I mean, my dad worked a lot, and I just. I mean, I didn't really have a wakeboard that fit me. Um, I think at that point I had realized that, and so. So you started riding at like OWC. Yeah. Well. Yeah, I rode like four days one year there, and then was just like, "This is really cool." All rental equipment, or yeah, all rental equipment, um, and just, I mean, I don't, I barely remember it to be honest. I just remember going with him on a summer, and, um, I tried to hit the picnic table and I slip out, land on my butt. I think at the end I got it, and I was pretty hooked at that point. But I had, I was fifteen, had no car, parents worked a lot, and, um, yeah, I just. It, that was the whole thing with all of it, with the bow riding too, was like logistically making it all work, I guess. So then a year later, um, I kind of got more into all my friends at that point were like, oh, we should go out on the boat. We used, I was like at the age where my dad would let me take out the boat at night and we just go hang out on the lake and just chill and listen to music. Um, and we were just really into that. And my friends all had their license at this point. They'd come over. So yeah, I guess at this point I started riding boat again for uh like two or three weeks i I had a, a a friend who was dating ian smith who is a you know great wakeboarder here in orlando and he came over and and one of those days i was like oh we should wakeboard i saw him wakeboard and he would just explain to me how it works like what rope length to ride you know and i, I was trying to learn how to jump the wake like that was the extent of it i jumped the wake once i think and i thought this is pretty cool um, he was like, yo, you should check out some cable to help progress your riding. I know you're having trouble riding a lot. So I rode about a month and I went to the cable park. Um, and at that point, you know, he told us about gravel tour as well. So I kind of, um, I think I did one gravel tour maybe, and I couldn't even jump the wake probably, or maybe could do one wake, but I got a, I rode cable. Um, I got a six month pass that day, um, from going the year before I knew how to hit a, a rail and I maybe hit a kicker that day. And at that point, I honestly, I was so hooked. It was so convenient. I had my license now and I just started going every single day to the cable park. Wakeboarding at the level that you're wakeboarding at, traveling, training and school. How do you find the time? How do you balance all of this? And are like, are you pretty Cause you are Far from a stressed out dude. I've always, you always <laughs> seem to be pretty collected and have it together for the most part. I, I, I think the only time I've seen you mad is maybe if you rode bad or if you felt like you were judged incorrectly. I think those are the only two times I think I've ever seen you like, you know, yeah. in, a, in a not happy mood. I always, like I said, I always like to stay busy. And I found out when I was traveling, there was a lot of downtime that I just had to take advantage of. I mean, now I'm looking back and I'm like, man, it's so exhausting traveling. I don't know how I found the energy, but there was, there was definitely time at nights and stuff, but there was a lot of nights where I'd be on the computer late at night. I mean, I didn't party. Um, I do didn't, you, do you party at all or anything like that? Or a, a little bit. I wouldn't, I don't know how much I party. I definitely like to go out with friends and drink a couple um, beers and drink a couple beers for yeah. sure. I mean, I'm a little older now anyways, but, um, I never really drank when I was younger. I think I was just so focused that I was like all that stuff, well, I'll have that later in life, but, like, let me get this stuff done, and part of it, too, is, like, 
um, I guess I felt like if I'm going to spend a few years traveling and stuff, I don't want to end up at the end of it. I mean, in the same position I was at the beginning of it. Real quickly here, just kind of touching on, on your travels and your living and, and stuff like that. Um, just talk quickly about Australia and when you lived there and, and just a little bit of your experience. Well, yeah, let me run through. I'll do Europe real quick and sure. then Australia. So I basically went and packed up. I graduated and went straight to the plane from my graduation at call at university. And I went over, flew over to feast and I rode in feast and there I, you know, did a wall backflip in the contest, which may have been the first or one of the first in an event. And then the guy from Plastic Playground saw that and was like, yo, last minute invite, someone pulled out, we want you in the contest. Um, and so that's kind of how I got started getting into the bigger contest. And then I traveled around and did just small events. I uh, went to, um, oh, actually, I broke my arm in that finals. Um, and you still ride with the broken arm? I, I tried to. They wouldn't let me, actually. Um, but I really asked to. And then um, they, uh, I stayed there in Europe, though, and I hung out. And I ended up riding at Vossi's Park, like talked about. And I hurt my knee the first day. I ended up in the hospital. And it was a crazy month. But I still stayed in Europe and did Plastic Playgrounds. And I ended up getting to finals in Plastic Playgrounds at the end of this three-month period. Um, and I got fourth in that. Um, so that was kind of a... The first time I think people started like noticing me in in the other contests, not just the WWA, but like the overseas stuff. And then yeah, I went back home. I did some events. I actually think I ended up making like pretty much every finals that year. I know I made every finals in the WWA events, and it ended with the Philippines. At no Abu Dhabi Worlds. again. It was Abu Dhabi oh, again sure. this year, and that year I got third in Worlds um, with the WWA in 2015. And so at that point things started to take off for me. Um, and that's when, like, I mean, I pretty much made every finals. Joby gave me a legit offer. Um, Control was kind of going out of business. And Joby gave me a legit offer with, um, you know, not just to be on the pro team or some travel budget, but it was like... Uh, some real incentives so, and whatnot. Yes. And so I uh, ended up signing with Joby. And then, yeah, I was like wanted to go over to Australia. I kind of had this again wanted to learn about all the cables around the world and also wanted to get my name out there to all the different communities of wakeboarding so that when I was putting out all these videos that they were getting seen everywhere because I I felt like I wasn't reaching people, you know, everywhere. And so I went over to Australia and I just lived there and I worked there for 6 months. Um Courtney Angus, um her dad owns a couple of cables with with a few other people and she was a good friend of mine from when I lived in Texas. She spent a lot of time over there. And we basically went over and, um, yeah, I moved moved out there. Didn't really know where I was going to live. Um, and ended up um, working at the cable, just coaching and doing a lot of clinics, um, summer camps. I operated a little bit. I worked on the aqua park. I did everything. Um basically whatever I could to get hours to make money because I saw that time that exchange rate was really good. I saw a great opportunity to make a lot of money and save up and bring that money back. Um, they pay way better cost of livings more, but when you save it saves, it basically doubles when you come back to America, um, at that time. And so, yeah, that's when I learned a lot about cable parks as well there. Cause they're 
one of the most successful financially cable parks in first world countries. So, so with the whole cable par- cable park thing, are you still thinking about opening up your own park at this point? Because it seems like you've got a lot of experience in uh, in operations. Yeah, I kind of got away from that a little bit. Um, my so my dad ended up passing away. Um, while I was traveling, he ended up getting sick, and he was. Um, he had this disease where his immune system attacked his nerves and I just thought it was like bad bacteria or something and sort of killing his nerves. So actually while I'm traveling, um, he ended up going to the hospital and sometimes he was lost feeling in his legs. Sometimes he had feeling in his legs. Um, yeah, I guess this actually is just, we can keep going with the story. This is basically part of it. Um, so when I was in Australia, it got really bad. Um, and they didn't tell me. They didn't want me to come home. Um, my family's amazing, and they wanted me to live out that dream that I was living. So I didn't understand the severity of it. Um, and while I was in Australia, I took a year off of school. I had graduated university. And that year, I went, and I was, like, super motivated. Took a year off school, did all the events, lived in Australia, spent 10 months traveling, I come home and my dad's pretty sick and he's in the hospital and doesn't really have feeling in his legs and all of that. Um, and this went on for a couple of years, uh, maybe two years. And basically, um, I still did events, um, but I slowed down filming videos and I ended up taking care of him a lot of the time. Um, and... You know, there were times we thought it was going to get better that he would just, like, lose feeling in his legs and it would come back. And um, so there were times when i travel a little bit and he seemed to be getting better and then it, like, relapse and re-attack his body. Um, and, yeah, I was basically a crazy year and a half. Um, and I, at that point, I decided also when I was in Australia that I just had a lot of free time and... Um, again, if I was going to be like traveling wakeboarding, I wanted to end up in a different place than I started. Um, and I was just had other life goals. So I went back to school and I started going to get my master's at the time. Like I said, I didn't really realize how rough it was going to be on my dad uh, and his body. I thought it was just going to get better. Everything would be okay. Um, he ended up becoming paralyzed completely from the waist down because it just kept attacking his nerves and then would lose feeling in his hands. So we basically had to do um, pretty much everything for him at times when he had no feeling in his hands. He ended up getting um, a bag because he couldn't go to the bathroom and we had to change that out and stuff. And um, about a year after living in Australia, I ended up living in the hospital actually for like four months going to school and trying living there with your dad yeah like he was in the hospital for four months and i would just sleep on the couch there and try to take care of him and um basically that's how it went because my family would do a lot while i would i mean they he basically didn't want it to affect my wakeboarding of course it had to to some degree but um my family was really good about trying to let me be able to still live out this dream so we worked out this situation where basically when I was in town I would be with him the whole time and then when I was gone my everyone else in my family would take turns taking care of him um so I basically go from like traveling to an event to coming home and like staying in the hospital uh or at home and 
just be like taking care of him the whole day. Every once in a while, we'd have friends come over and I'd go wakeboard for a few hours and then I'd come home. And while I was taking care of him, I was just doing school online on my computer and everything. Um, so it was a pretty crazy year or two um, in 2016 and 2017. And um, yeah, at one point, like I said, I was in the hospital like four months in the off season and just, I mean, it, it was rough, but I really got a lot of amazing time with my dad. So at the same time, like I really value the time I got to spend sitting in the hospital, like talking to him about everything you can think of and just about, about life and about business and all that. But, um, uh, he started to get a little bit better and we, he was going to a place in Chicago to spend the summer, um, in 2017 to, uh, basically go through some chemo and some other stuff and some stem cell radiation and treatments to try to get better. And so I basically drove him up to Chicago, took care of him there and got him situated. And then I went to Europe for three weeks for, uh, laying foot open feasts and, um, wake to paradise. And then I was going to come home and go visit him in the hospital and stuff. Um, well, basically, on I flew to Amsterdam, um, and then took a to meet with the Joby guys. Took a train to Langenfeld. On the train to Langenfeld, I got a call that my dad passed away in his sleep, and that was super hard. Um, it was the day before he started his treatment, so it's kind of weird because, like I said, his body was starting to do a little bit better. Um, it would always fight with itself, but it was in an upswing at the time, and there was a lot of hope for us. And to get that call, even though I kind of knew that he'd been sick for a long time, it still hit me pretty bu- much by surprise. Um, so that was a really tough decision. Do I stay? I just got here. And oh, do I go home? My dad had always told everyone and my family and me, like, if anything happened while I was traveling, that I would at least finish that event I was at. And then when there's a, a gap, I'd fly home and we would just do a funeral then there's there, he didn't see the point in rushing it to do it like three days after um gave other family time to come in town too so so you're on your way to Lingenfeld at this time yeah i'm in i'm in just in the train about to get there yeah and so so you make this decision to go and compete at Lingenfeld. yeah i basically um decided yeah my i talked to my mom and she she basically i didn't know what to do and she was like you can't come home like your dad would be you know he did so much um, I mean, we all sacrifice so much so you could like, you know, live the stream and there's no point now. I mean, what's done is done, you know? Um, so what ends up happening at Lingenfeld? Yeah, I base I be, I get there. I mean, the contest is pretty quick. It's like one day of practice, one day of contest. So I got there pretty close to the event and, um, I don't want to tell people at the time because I don't know what to say. I don't want to, I mean, these are some of my best friends in the world. They're just like at the event, but um, so I started telling one or two people, but I really kept it quiet at the time. Um, and yeah, I just felt like I wanted to, you know, compete and try to, I never won a contest, a major contest at the time and wanted to, you know, just give it everything I got because of the situation and what, you know, my family had given up for me to be able to do this. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I ended up 
winning that contest and that was crazy because like I said I, I basically took went from going to every finals in 2015 to like nothing in 2016 because I was just so busy and uh there was just so much going on in life I just you know couldn't ride as much and then to go back in 2017 this was the first event of the year um I mean this is this is like a very bittersweet win for you i uh, yeah it was hard it was so hard to um kind of maybe describe a little bit of like of like what like how it all went down and, and everything like that because this is uh like i mean obviously this is our i, I didn't really know that this is where the story was going to go just so you know but obviously there's like a lot of emotion here and stuff like that but to to, to for it all to go down like this and then to take a win at like such a prestigious event you know yeah i just remember thinking that morning we had one day of practice and i'm the guy everyone can tell you this i'm the guy who at a contest from the first day we can start practicing or they you know do the hacks or whatever i'm there from open to close every single day i'm taking tons of ibuprofen because my arms i can barely hold on the handle i'm all about that so for one day of practice i was a mess like i didn't know what to do all the tricks I tried were way too hard to figure out in one day. That morning I had, I was actually really down because I was like, I got nothing. I have no idea what I'm going to do in this contest. Nothing's working out. And, you know, I just basically passed, like, making everyone wait on the funeral um, to be here. And I was, I don't know. And then I ended up in the finals. because I just changed my mind to things I guess I thought I could do. And it worked out. And, um I end up in the finals with Daniel Grant, Aaron Gunn, Gunther Oka, all of them multiple time world championship champions. And I was like, wow, like I was just so stoked to be there. And I was like, okay, cool. Like, I think I made this, this worth it to stick around, you know? Um, and I didn't want to disappoint everyone and my family. I guess I felt a lot of pressure. Um, and it's kind of crazy. It's kind of a blur, but first run I went out and was like, I just want to get on the podium like that would be insane let me just try this run that you know is going to be a really hard run and if I can do if I can do it pretty decent I think I'll put me on the podium and it worked out perfectly that first run I was think I was first off the dock and it went down really well and then all the riders went out I was just so so stoked to put down that run I was like I think I can get on the podium with this I don't even remember what everyone else did but they were killing it I guess I didn't see, but I guess each one of them, uh, I don't know what happened. It just didn't get the runs they wanted or something. But in the end, I was like, oh, maybe I got third. And everyone's like, dude, you won that. And uh, like all the guys in the contest, they don't, these are my like idols, you know? It's like all these, you know, world champions and stuff. And I was like, no, no, no. And I was like, they were just being nice because like at that point, I think some people figured out what had happened. And then yeah I was just there my my wife she was my girlfriend at the time was with me on this trip actually um so that was huge to have someone there like that I could talk to through it all you know obviously having that one person that I, you know could understand what I was going through what was helpful and then I was sitting with her and yeah when they announced it I was just like I couldn't believe it I don't know I mean I don't even know what to say like it was so insane it was so surreal like I had never won an event and this was an event with you know the best of the best all in one finals and you know me there just still trying to felt like I still had so much to prove and 
to be up on that podium. It was like so happy, but at the same time, like all we ever dreamed about was me winning a major competition, me and my dad. And I was so sad that he, I couldn't call him. You know, the worst thing was after not being able to pick up the phone and call him and tell him how happy I was. So it was more bittersweet than like you can imagine. I mean, it was everything we dreamed about at the same time, not being able to call him and share that with him was really hard. And yep. Well, I'm sure he's like super stoked, you know, watching down on you. So, um, in, insane story though, bro. In, incredible. I want to, I want to, um, talk a little bit about something you've been touching a little bit about. And those are some of your sponsors and some of your past sponsors. And one that, um, really stands out to me and I think is really cool is control wakeboards. Um, unfortunately they didn't have, you know, the, the longest run in the wakeboard business, but control wakeboards was a, um, uh, independently owned, I would say, right. Uh, wakeboard company, um, with the likes of Keith Lidberg at the head along with Phil Sovin. And I know that you, your relationship at control was more with Keith Lidberg. Um, but I want to like, I want to find out about it because what, what I think, and especially the listeners is intriguing is a name like Phil Sovin, who we haven't really talked about too much over the last <laughs> few years, but like, I mean, he was an owner of the company. You obviously had some interactions with him. Yeah. I would assume. A so, lot. Uh, talk a little bit about control wakeboards and with it being your, they were your first sponsor, right? Your first board sponsor. Yeah, I knew Keith from Orlando, and he, um, yeah, he was just around here, and they kind of were giving me some wholesale boards at first, and then after podiuming and, you know, Cajun, I kind of got on the, the team, like, legit, and then, um, yeah, I mean, I went to Legit meaning money and boards, or just boards? No, at the time, I mean, it's the middle of the year, it was just boards, um, and then, like, there was talk about, oh, next year we'll put you on on money and stuff, but it's the middle of the season, and at the same time, I think they were already starting to feel some financial struggles, and were hoping they could come out of it. Um, and then that's actually when Phil came on. Um, so I kind of came on, and then Phil invested into that company. Um, they created his board and everything, and, and uh, yeah, the product was amazing. The guys were great, and they had... I mean, all the guys I looked up to on the team, Matty Hassler, Dominic Gers, Leo Sofer, uh, Ange, and so all these incredible riders. Uh, I was super stoked to be a part of that. Um, and then things got a little weird, I guess. I, I could just sense things weren't – I wasn't getting as much information as the other guys were, I think, because I had just got on and um, – I don't know, I wasn't really, like, as close with everyone. But I guess there was clear they were starting to have some financial issues. And then Phil came in, and then... So, control goes out, and how? And then how quickly does the opportunity with Joby come in? Or, or does the opportunity come with Joby before control's out? Basically, it came before control was out, um, because Julian and Yanel were riding for Joby. They saw me doing good that first season, and they were like hey, you guys need to get him, but I think that Joby had those two, and they weren't sure, and I basically was like, Control's promising me that they're going to pay me more, and um, I didn't want to ride for anyone for free or get in a situation where um, what ended up with Control, where basically I never ended up getting much from them because they were running out of money when I was coming up, you know? 
And so I didn't want Joby to be a situation where it's like, oh, we promise all this stuff and I hop on a sponsor and then they go out of business or and never nothing ever comes of it. Um, and so I, I just held out. I actually wrote a Joby Boots, I think, and a control board um, or vice versa throughout the year, um, just making sure it was clear I wasn't sponsored by either of them. And uh, I wrote a blackboard for a little bit. And then Joby, I mean, they were always great to me. They were just were like, hey, we can't offer anything at the moment. And then at the end of the year, after I podiumed at Worlds, I ended up getting second in the World Series, I think. They were like, oh, here you go. Like, here's a legit offer. Um, and that's when I agreed to ride for them. So Joby, you know, obviously you and Joby have moved into the different directions at this point now. And there's a few things that have happened in between. First of all, you waited a bit before you either announced a new sponsor or wrote a new sponsor board in front of people or whatever. You put out a, a pretty amazing web edit also called Sponsor Me Tape Video or whatever, Sponsor Me Tape, which I thought was really, really awesome. What I want to find out, though, is like, like in between the period between you got this, this new, your newest board sponsorship, Slingshot, your newest relationship or whatever, partnership, and when things, you know, finish with your last company, like having the experiences with Control, having the experiences with with Joby how much did going through those those trials and tribulations those ups and downs how much did that help when making your decision with what you are doing or or how much did the how much of that came into play when making the decision maybe is what I'm asking I mean so much everything <laughs> like what kind of stuff did you learn from those 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 other companies I mean, and there were great things and not so great things. I mean, I was in a situation where I didn't really have money and funding to go invest a lot of money in myself. So I really needed a sponsor, for example, with Joby, that was going to make that happen and put money on the table, you know. And they did at the time and stuff. But I learned a lot from that as well. And there were a lot of opportunities. I mean, People call it politics, but it's just business. I mean, there's cable parks who are selling Ronix boards who want someone to come do a clinic, and they're not going to ask a Ronix rider because they want to sell Ronix boards, and that's why they're paying someone to come coach, you know? And there were just opportunities like that that I missed, I think. And um, I learned a lot from that, as well as there were opportunities and things I was able to do because I had the money in my pocket. And there were opportunities I'm super thankful for because of that. Um, and so I think I learned so much from it. Um, but in the end, it I mean, I can just go into the whole story, but I think that it played a lot of impact on the decision I made. Um, and I, just, I, I really didn't want to end up in a situation where a company would, I'd be stuck again having to choose a sponsor in a few years. Hey, so um, let's let's get back and let's talk about um, your video, Sponsor Me Tape. What was the message behind the video and then also at the end, the phone number? Because uh, you called me today and that's not the same number. So basically, come Surf Expo time, um, I'll just quickly tell the whole story between deciding to do the video and then the video. Um I knew Joby was leaving a little bit at the end of or the middle of last summer and I was trying to focus a lot on I mean I was just trying to keep doing my thing you know and hoping something would come out of it around surf expo time though I was taking all my crashes all my you know content over the last year and putting it together because I I knew I had to talk to some new sponsors um actually liquid force came to me at surf expo 
and talked to me about writing for them. Um, and I was like, oh, this is sick. This is probably where I'm going to go. I like the team. I like the writers. Um, I kind of started writing for Liquid for writing Liquid Force boards. Um, and so, yeah, we were like, okay, let's have this conversation go. It seemed super positive. As the year went on, um, and I actually talked to a lot of other brands. Slingshot being a brand that was like, hey, we think you're awesome. We would love to have you on our team, but we really can't do anything right now our team is so so stacked our budget so full um and we think you deserve some money so you need to find another sponsor that will support you the way you deserve to be supported so i i thought that was super cool by slingshot come december um liquid force was talking about um some contract with some incentive and money or however it was going to look and i was just waiting for that to come around i was like cool this is where i'm gonna go i think we're on the same page here and then the, the contract never came. It just, like, didn't show up. And they were like, oh, yeah, we'll get it to you next week. And it, next week I didn't hear from them. I kind of just got ghosted a little bit. And I was like, well, this is kind of weird. And I'm not sure what happened there. They had a lot of employees switch out and stuff. But uh, the new year came around, and I was like, clearly, I guess I haven't done enough. And I was had this video in mind that I wanted to do as a welcome to the team video at OWC all these tricks that I was kind of sca really scared to try, um, but really wanted to do for a while. One of them that I've been planning for years was to gap the pool gap. And uh, so I basically was like, you know, I only have like three Joby boards left, all of which are half broken and I'm running out of boards. I need to figure something out. Um, so, and a couple companies, you know, at that time, Liquid Force gave me a board to try out and, um, I was just knew it would take a little bit to get comfortable on these boards. I didn't know what was happening. I was like, I just want to film this video on these boards. I'm super comfortable on. I've been riding for three years and before OWC changes their features up. Um, and I basically wrote the plan for this video. Um, and in the meantime, I actually asked Slingshot. I was like, hey, Slingshot, you know, you guys are super cool with me and honest with me. But I have a question like would you be open to the idea of sending me a board? Because right now I'm about to only have a liquid force board and I don't want them to think I'm going to ride for them for free. Um, and just get stuck in that situation where I don't have boards and I don't want to black out a board someone gave me because I don't think that's a cool thing to do if they're giving you a board for free. So slingshot was like, yeah, we're down. Just send it back when you take a sponsor. So I got the slingshot board. So in the meantime, when I wasn't filming for the video, I'm riding a slingshot board or Liquid Forest, or all these boards, testing it out, putting it on social media, just creating a little bit of buzz, like, oh, who's this guy going to ride for? You know, he's on a slingshot board today, a Liquid Forest board tomorrow. Um, went out, filmed the video, and it was um, it was a hard video to film. I mean, I only had eight tricks. They were all planned out. But um, I really wanted to just show people that, you know, I was that contest guy, but my riding now is going to be taking that tech stuff and trying to do like big stuff and maybe more stylish riding hopefully um and so the beginning of the the whole video is like super planned out it was you know everyone was filming on dad cams and the joke was kind of like uh the 90s sponsor me tape style in skateboarding that everyone used to have to film and send in a vhs tape to um like they had to mail it to sponsors like that's how you got a sponsor and i just think so many people have asked me 
how do I get sponsors? How do I do this? How do I do that? And I wanted to show them like, you know, a lot's changed, but a lot's the same. And if you want to get a sponsor, go work for it, put out a video, send it to them and make people notice you, you know? Quick interjection here, guys. I just have to tell you all about SeaDeck Marine Products. SeaDeck is the industry leader in innovative flooring solutions, supplying the best boat builders in the world with comfortable, durable, non-skid flooring systems. SeaDeck is available in a variety of sizes, thicknesses, and colors, and they have a worldwide network of certified installers ready to help you design the custom kit of your dream, and they let you try before you buy. Just check out www.cdeck.com to order your very own free sample kit complete with a huge variety of Cdeck flooring solutions. S-E-A-D-E-K.com for durability, comfort, and an incredible look and feel, your boat deserves SeaDAC. One of the tricks that's, that you've been doing that stands out so much and you've really made your own is that massive um, chromobe that you do off the kicker. is like a nose grab chromobe that you just like. Yeah. Like you, you just boot it like 100 feet, it seems like. Um, I, watching guys like you and also because you, you're going massive on your spins and stuff like that too and regular and switch inside and outside kickers and stuff like that. How how are you able to soften up those those huge landings? Um, they don't get any softer. <laughs> no, you. I, I mean, mean like I have a routine for the whole thing for scary tricks and big tricks. But in the reality, is that the faster you go, the softer you land, and the the you know you keep your tension if you take a longer edge. So taking a long fast edge keeps your landing soft. I mean, if that's practical advice, there's that. The other side of it is you do it a lot. I think people don't see me post big kicker hits because to me, um, there's just it's easier to post different. I like to post different stuff. I don't like to repost a trick I've posted before. And on kickers, it's like every kicker is kind of the same. So if I posted this trick on a kicker like a back nine, I'm not going to post it again. Um, and so I post a lot of rail stuff because there's tons of different rails. Um, but... I hit kickers a lot, and I like to go big on kickers a lot. Um, it's one of my favorite things. It's where it all started for me. I became, like, the rail rider because I got hurt on kickers, and I hurt my back really bad, and I couldn't hit kickers. But I love going big on kickers. So it was just doing it and building up the muscle, I think, and just building up the uh, – just getting used to it. So and was that, like, what happened day. to you is that you were going too big before you, you had built up your body muscle and stuff like that, and then you yes, hurt your back? Yes and no. I think it wasn't – that I built to the body muscle, I, I still had it, but I had gone so big so many times. And it was actually when I learned Chrome was that big and was doing just big back ones. And I think I was so tired and I wasn't sleeping, going to school and doing all that stuff. And I kept going back and doing it every day that one day I had no energy and my, my muscles weren't taking it. And then like my spine was just taking all the impact and stuff. Hey, let's talk about David OC, David O'Queeve. I had him on the show and he created a bunch of controversies. Um, and that's not really what this show is about. It's not what I'm really about. I'm, I try to keep it positive vibrations and whatnot, but it's funny because I watched a I watched David's video of you. David's so funny because he says he doesn't like want the dramas and stuff like that, but I think he softly instigates it a little bit at times. And I love Dave. He's such a great guy, and I think he means well. But I think that he I think he I think 
he knows how to create um, exposure and sometimes he does it by any means necessary. So um, I, w- I want to find out like, cause I know you and David have a pretty good relationship and, th- and there's mixed, there's kind of like mixed feelings on the guy between some of the, uh, bet- be, you know, between some of the riders within the industry. And then also, um, I mean, I'm sure you, you know a little bit about some of the wake beef that has been going on. So I just wanted to kind of hear your thoughts about it. I, I don't want to use this as a platform to like talk smack or anything like that. Oh. I just want to kind of hear what, what your thoughts are on it all. I got you. I got no smack to talk. I have so much respect for all these guys in the industry, but uh, yeah, I, I do think that David was all about not being a part of it. And then at some point he was like, eh, let me just have some fun with this. Um, and um, I think that, um, I mean, all the aspects of the sport, it's an ecosystem. That's the way I see it, at least. David is doing so much for the guys that are getting into that sport, um, that are don't know any pros. And David creates a platform for them to learn about pros and learn who these pros are by filming with them and stuff like that. So where's the disconnect? Um, I, mean, I mean, I'm just saying, like, where's the disconnect? Because there are definitely some top-level pros that – I don't think have the respect for David, you know, that they don't have the same respect for him that he does for, for that. And I, and, and then again, at the same time, I don't really know. It's not like I ever, ever had anybody call and be like, Oh, David's this or that. I'll tell it's you, just, I, I don't know. Did David talk about the, the prank phone call? I know. Uh, so, so, so David, ba- David basically talked about some of the, like the things that were happening with him. I don't think he knew about it at the time. Yeah. So, so and- I, I would, I did get, uh, I did get really in the middle of this. I was on a trip with David when he posted, when he started the instigating a little bit. Right. Um, I'm good friends with both parties. I, I like to think, um, I definitely understand the YouTubers and all that. I, I'm a big fan of watching YouTube videos. That's how I've learned everything growing up. And um, then also I'm really into the culture and the core of like the skate culture and that kind of stuff that some of the other guys are in. I think I'm kind of in the middle. I think where a lot of the disconnect happened is there was uh, prank phone calls uh, towards multiple cable parks um, about people pretending to be David calling, being like, yo, I want free riding. If I come, do I get free riding? All this stuff, like I'll make a video for your channel. And then they'd be like, no. And he... He would say, well, come on, you know who I am. Do you know how many followers I have? Like, this deserves free riding, all this stuff. It wasn't David. But I found that out because Quinn messaged me. Quinn Silvernail from? From Valdosta. Sure. Um, I think I actually messaged him. I got drugged into the drama a little bit. I had filmed the clip that David posted not knowing what was going on, what David was going to post. I don't even know if he knew. And then he made that post when I was with him about – you know, the swooshy, swashy thing that Wesley did, as as David called it. And, um, like, the buttering stuff. Right. And Wesley Jacobson's style. I mean, yeah, just the he, way he rides. Well, basically, it had been going on where they were making fun of the video blogging because it's prank call. And I think a lot of it has to do with passion as well. They were all Which passionate about the sport and, and where course, the sport this whole, goes. This whole prank phone call thing has just been kind of figured out like in the last so david was on my podcast he didn't like know i don't three think. episodes ago and he and uh, you know I, I don't know i did talk to like trevor and i know that that people were talking about it or whatever and i think david was really respectful with what he said but i know he ruffled feathers and whatnot um but i, I also feel like david was trying to defend himself in a way 
Yeah, and I think that, yeah, so a big part of where it all started was this prank phone call that none of us knew about at the time. And I basically messaged Quinn and was like, hey, man, like, I um, I know, like, it looks like I was kind of a part of this, but I really respect what you guys do. And, um, and I also respect David, and I just kind of want to stay neutral on this. Like, I don't. I love both of you guys. I think what you both do is super important for the sport. And Quinn messaged me back and was like, hey, like, no hard feelings. We weren't even really annoyed that much with that post he made or whatever. It was the fact that he prank phone called us and it was just a super Well, at this big point, it wasn't, it wasn't a prank phone call. It was the fact that he— Right, sorry. He called us and was a super big jerk and all this stuff. And I was like, Quinn, that is not David. I know David so well. There's no way that was David. I was like, do you mind? Can I talk to David about this? He's like, yeah, for sure. Um, he's like, I've never, and Quinn was super cool. I've never met David. Uh, I've never heard his voice, but it seemed really real. And um, I'd love to get it straightened out. And so I called up David. I connected the two. David did some voice messages to him, showing him his real voice, apologizing for the miscommunication. And it happened to Westrock as well. And so Westrock, I'm friends with the owner there. He called me up. So thankfully, I think it all got figured out. But it all kind of started with this prank phone call. And then there was some tension. Um, that's the majority of the heat there. So officially, has the beef been squashed? It's good. They're good. Uh, and David really does want to come ride Valdosta and has respect for them. So, so John, as we kind of get closer to the end here, um, you know, and, and we've we've gone through the whole entire story. I want to talk a, a little bit back here on on Slingshot. You know, going back to your sponsor me tape. Obviously, things worked out, and now here you are. You've got this great relationship um, with Slingshot. Talk a little bit about that. Yeah. So as I said, um, you know, Slingshot gave me that board to try out, and it was super fun. And um, yeah, I was kind of jumping on the Slingshot board, the Liquid Force board, and trying some other boards. And then, um, really, I it kind of got crazy. The day the sponsor me tape came out, I had calls. I had offers that were two or three times what Joby was offering me um, from these small independent companies. And I had I had a lot of small independent companies in America and Europe. Control, actually, is back. And they called me up and offered me uh, a deal um, a shop called The House in Minnesota, I believe, bought Control. So that was interesting. And then a new company called Beta Tech, which is super cool company with awesome, this new technology for bindings. Um, they, I, I was talking to him. And really, I hadn't heard from these bigger companies. You know, it's middle of the year. And um, Liquid Force was still kind of being wishy-washy with me and, I was kind of at first just like oh, I'm gonna take these small companies because it's a lot of money and like I said I didn't have a lot of money before and I was just had worked hard marketing myself over the last few months and creating this video um, you know filmed and edited the whole thing by myself pretty much um, with some help of I had some guys come and shoot some cinematic shots just like half the tricks in the morning um, that whole story is kind of on my Instagram of how we made that work out. And then I had these guys come, or, or I was like, oh, I'm just going to take this money and film, fund all these projects. Nowadays, like, I basically was in the question, can you do it all yourself through social media, and is that the route I want to go? 
can I take this money and just use it to go f- film all my own f- projects, kind of the David O approach, um, and you know do all my marketing myself and put my name out there, or do we need do you know I go with a bigger company who helps me and has a bunch of resources and filmers that they work with and all that kind of stuff, and I was kind of like ah. Uh, I might want to give it a try just doing it on my own um, and with the social media. So I was like, hey, I'm just going to take these offers. It's a lot of money and, you know, I am I think it's more than I'll get from other brands for a while. So um, it makes sense. And then I had a talk with some writers, um, some bigger name guys, and basically decided that I um, needed to – I had to just – decide my priorities you know what are my priorities what do I want to be a part of and as I talked about earlier with Joby I think I missed a lot of opportunities that I really wanted to be a part of you know I wanted to be in Real Wake and I wanted to be in these events and so I um you know money was lower on my priority I didn't start wakeboarding for the money I started wakeboarding because I wanted to film cool projects and be in Real Wake and or be at the time wake the line was my dream growing up and I wanted to be in wake the line and all that kind of stuff. And I wanted to win rail ride of the year. And I'm not saying I couldn't have done this with these smaller brands, but I do think I had opportunity to do more unique, cool projects with a lot of helpful hands with some bigger companies. Um, and I basically decided that out of these small brands, the last thing I wanted to do was go to a company that I didn't think was going to, succeed or they would shut down like Joby would because I would be in a totally different situation in three years with my third brand shutting down you know uh, or pulling out or something so I made the decision to um, all these small brands the timing didn't seem right for them and it, it didn't seem to fall into place where I felt like we could build it into a huge brand um, so I made the decision let me call up these other big brands um, and I actually was trying to learn as much as I could about the industry at the time. And I messaged, I meant to message Jeff Mathis and say, hey, um, can we hop on a call to talk is what I said. Super vague, thinking I'm messaging Jeff Mathis. I accidentally messaged Jeff McKee, the Slingshot team manager. Um, Jeff Mathis, for those of you guys don't know, is the, the editor of Alliance. And I wanted to talk to him about, you know, they're really influential and in different stuff. And I just want to get the full picture of, you know, in their projects, they work with a lot of brands and different stuff. And so I really understand my decision. Jeff McKee ends up calling me and I was like, Oh, this, okay, I guess I'll just do this. You know, I'll just have this conversation. Um, because I sent the text to him, I guess. So let me pick up the phone and I talked to him. And like I said, at the time they sent me that board and they're like, we can't do anything for you. Well, they call me up, and they're stoked. Some distributors and stuff over in Europe seen the video, asked Jeff, hey, can you bring John to when you guys come over here to Europe? And he was like, man, out of all the guys on my team, they're asking for you, and I think it was just good timing with the video and everything. But um, it's crazy. That happened the day before, and now um, McKee was super stoked on me. 
Um, it was fate, brother. I know. It was crazy. And then, and I never thought, like, that's not going to happen. I'll talk to Ronix, Hyperlight, Liquid Force. Just make sure I get all the cards on the table, you know, see what my options are. And, you know, I was going to call Makitu. He was going to be the last person I called, but he ended up being the first. And I was like, I guess we'll talk more and all this stuff. Um, and so, Yorotel's coming around. I wanted a decision by then, but it wasn't happening. Um, and I f- still wasn't getting back from Liquid Forest. I mean, this is, we're, we're literally talking just a month or two ago. A month ago, yeah. Um, and basically then Liquid Forest, you know, was like, hey, we actually do want to do something. I guess it took a bit of time after the sponsor me tape for these bigger companies to, like, process it and, and see other... Uh, other distributors i guess and stuff being interested and um then they started coming with like pretty interested and like i said i had basically decided my priorities were not the money um and i needed to be with a a bigger company i think but only if the company really was going to treat me like i was part of the team i needed to be on team shoots i needed the there was going to be less money than these small brands I knew the offers were really good from these small brands, but I wanted to have them help build me up into a, a hopefully a bigger name and work with me to do what I wanted to do to grow the sport um, and the cool video projects and the stuff I always dreamed about as a kid. And so basically um, a lot of them were down, but um, Slingshot was really excited. And at yard sale I went and I rode Again, I had to make a decision. Am I going to play it safe here? Because um, I got basically something's about to work out. Or am I going to go, you know, risky and ride like I I guess like I want to ride and try tricks that I want to do. And uh, that was a scary moment choosing to do that big red or rail um, with, without a sponsor. Knowing like if I get hurt, I'm going to ruin it all. But like I said, I, I wanted to push the sport and grow the sport and do this trick. So... After trying that trick and getting smoked a bunch, Jeff the next day came to me and was like, hey, let's talk for real. Like, what are you looking for? And I told him, and I told him, basically, I want to do all this stuff, and I want a company that will support me to do that. I think it's going to be good for the sport and the brand and everything. And they were on board. They were like, yes. Like, anything you want to do, we can get behind and more. Everything I asked for, they were like, we'll do it. We'll do it. And it was crazy um i'm so thankful that they i guess saw what i wanted to do and how it could have a positive impact um and yeah they the video at west rock they were super stoked to support you know we started going to i want to go to a bunch of cables in america and work with the younger generation and the new kids because i never forget seeing the pros ride and how stoked i was on those pros you know and getting to meet them or something so i want to go invest in them as well and they were down to just like use budget to do this stuff and fly me to the team shoot um and we talked about the future as well and so it's crazy everyone thought i was going to go to slingshot the whole time and i thought there's no way i'm going to slingshot like they were the first people that were like it's not gonna work and they were just helping me out as friends and then it ended up i mean that's that's why it made the most sense because I had a good relationship with them. They were my friends. Adam Sinclair, the rep, and Jeff McKee, you know, they were great people. And, yeah, the money is is not what it would have been with these smaller brands, but 
I, the opportunity is there, though, brother, and that's what I think is important. Yeah, and I wanted to choose the people and, like, you know, always, you know, go with the right people that Absolutely. I trust and that support me, and I'm super excited. And even since it's been a month, and they've done more than they've said they would do, and it's incredible. incredible. They've incredible. treated me so well. So. Dude, congratulations on that and, and everything else here. Uh, I know you I know you got to get moving pretty quick here. I do. I want to touch real quick here on this um, – this last thing, and I know uh, getting back to like talking about David O, uh, he was here and he talked a little bit about it. Something that you guys have been a part of, which is pretty neat to see in our industry, is this U.S. cable tours. Um, talk a little bit about, and for being such a core rider, it, it's I'm blown away that you support this. I think it's a great thing, but you, you know, normally you wouldn't see such core riders. I don't, you know, um, supporting such a startup or whatever even though now it's kind of been around. Talk a little bit about what U.S. Cable Tours is and uh, what they're doing. Yeah, well, I mean, U.S. Cable Tours was started by Wayne Harris. It was started at the Philippines at one of the WWA contests. The idea was started. Uh, me, you know, Gunther, we were all there. And Wayne basically was sitting with these other guys who would come and travel to the contest just to see the good riding. And, you know, they ride in masters and all this stuff but they were talking like why why do we all go to contests to get together to have these cool times and wakeboard and then go see stuff around the the world when we could just do this anytime we want like why don't we all just meet up and do something like this and they everyone was like yeah that's sick and and then wayne came to us and was like hey what do you guys think of this we were like, that sounds awesome, man. So what? So what exactly is what? Like, what exactly is it? So basically, birthed out of that was getting a group of guys to come together and meet in one place, um, and go on a road trip to a bunch of different cable parks and live maybe the pro wakeboard lifestyle, which is, you know, wakeboard four hours or so a day at a cable park and then go do something cool in the community or action sports related, like something related to the culture or action and adventure sports. Um, and then the next day go to another cable park and do the same thing, ride for four hours, train a little bit, and then go do cool, fun stuff. And so everything on the trip is either related around the culture of Florida, like going to the Everglades or something, or um action and adventure sports like skydiving like bucket list activities like there's some crazy experiences that happen so this last weekend i'm announcing performance ski and surf gravel tour and the u.s cable tours crew um they show up on site they're they just finished the trip you were there you came and said hello to me and i come to find out there's a guy and a girl who met on the trip at the beginning of the week and this is what a five-day trip seven seven-day trip there's a, a guy and a girl that met at the beginning of the week and they were married at the end of the week by you yeah this trip's crazy it's uh it literally is like you see these videos of like nitro circuits and stuff growing up and it's you get all these people together with the similar attitudes and they just push each other and do crazy stuff and they get out of their comfort zone that's what this trip is like um and then to have like-minded people come together with you know and spend a week getting out of your comfort zone but like it's crazy the trip is super busy you're always doing something you're always in the van super close to other people and you really get to know each other and you talk about your fears you talk about just everything that's going on in your life and you you know you see 
it by the end you know people really well and these these two people met the first day and were hit it off immediately and they hung out a bunch they were always together talking and you know i think that you just get a lot of like-minded individuals together and these two specifically so are you a pre are you a preacher or like no so are ordained minister what are, are like well basically um i mean they hit it off they were like hey we want to get married i was like oh i've heard about this like you can just get the license or whatever yeah like on get a certification and stuff and the whole time i thought you know we're just joking around it's not gonna happen well friday i mean you you can't just do a wedding you still gotta go to the courthouse people forget that i think maybe i don't know but friday i was like oh we're just gonna do a wedding it'll be funny and then they'll start dating and then one day we'll do the real wedding right friday they're like hey we're gonna uber to the courthouse i was like wait what and then uh, i was like i i thought the whole time you were i mean i started to believe it after a while when i saw them looking at apartments and stuff but they at the back of my mind i was like oh like they'll just do this later you know and it will just it'll be a funny thing um and then they're like no like we're gonna uber to the courthouse and okay so they ubered to the courthouse got all the paperwork done there came back and then we had a ceremony at owc just in board shorts and stuff and um one of the wayne's wife actually went and got like a white dress and stuff to make it like symbolic i guess um and so she was actually in a white dress but everyone was just in their board shorts from owc and we did like a little fun ceremony and it was super cool and um they i guess they're legally married now and um i hope all the paperwork worked out i think and you were a part of it bro and yeah i did the whole ceremony i got to do the wedding and everything and then yeah i mean and they're super i mean we we've been talking every day since then i'm actually gonna go stay with him in like a month and she's gonna be there and stuff and they created the whole plan of you know she's moving there for the summer she's a teacher he's moving back so it's pretty insane um and yeah i mean that's what happens when you get a lot of like-minded individuals together doing crazy stuff just trying to you know i don't know have fun have fun and have a good time so that's it u.s cable tours check it out all right dude well from this conversation i feel like we could probably go like another couple of hours on uh on everything but we're gonna stop right here right now um i'm gonna give everybody the opportunity if there is more people can ask you questions because i'm gonna give you the opportunity right now um it's the uh the three S's, what are they? Social media, sponsors, and shout outs. Okay, well, um, social media, John Driving94 um, on Instagram. And I think my YouTube is the same, John Driving94. So check those out. I'll be uploading more, starting to upload YouTube videos, like the old videos I've created and all that. Slash unlocking old videos, right? Yeah, and so, um, yeah, that'll be great. And then, and I have a lot of plans with that in the future, too, so stay tuned for that. I'm about to start kicking that stuff off. I'm super excited about it. Um, I'll let you guys stay surprised on that one. And then, yeah, shout out to my sponsors, Slingshot Wake and Unit Park Tech, Sessi Tech as well. Um, those guys have been super awesome and supportive. And I'm super excited to be working with them in the future, so look for yeah, some good stuff coming really, from them. We didn't fully get to the uh, Unit um stuff i know you got some some cool stuff going on are you are you officially like working for those guys or i basically do some design for them as well as 
Um, so I designed some of the rails. I've been starting to do a little bit of that with the parks here in America, and I I do the he- I'm do all the sales in North America. So kind of oversee a lot of the pretty much everything that happens here in North America, and it's been a super awesome opportunity to try to help the parks get the right features that help progression and and keep the sport going. And well, it's cool because you obviously you're the guy who rides these parks, you ride these features, so. Um, who better to ask what, you know, because I think all th- these are expensive features and they're going to last a really, really, really well, a lifetime. Right. So, you know, y- if you're going to spend the money, you want to get the right feature for your facility. Yeah. And it's been super great because you can't always tell in the in the photos how big they are and stuff. So to be able to tell people after riding almost all of them and then being super aware and in tune with the pictures and the videos that come out. You know, it's a great opportunity to help the parks and make sure they buy the right stuff. So very good. Well, guys, I recommend you hit this dude up, John Dryling, here, episode one hundred and twenty-three of the Golden Mike Podcast, dude. This has been an awesome conversation. We should get together sometime outside of this and go have some tacos or a beer or something. Yeah, definitely. I'd be I'd be down for that. I'm, that'd be awesome. There it is. All right, John. Thanks a bunch to you, my friend. Guys, thanks for listening. We're not done right yet right here right now nope we've got a quick commercial break and then i'll be back with more on the golden lake podcast oh yeah have you started taking your boat out every weekend and noticed that something just seems to be missing well roswell marine has the perfect fix check out roswell's product catalog featuring a huge selection of top quality marine audio equipment board racks and wake towers roswell's motto is quality without compromise and no matter what you buy you can buy it with confidence knowing that roswell products are built to perform reliably from the moment you install them they have 35 preferred dealers located all throughout the united states and canada be sure to use the dealer search function on their website roswellmarine.com to find the one closest to you that website again is www.roswellmarine.com i want to take a minute and talk about masterline usa makers of world record ski and wake ropes and handles gloves travel bags and other water sports gear Masterline is the official rope of the Masters, Twin Lakes Corn Fest, and Feet on Fire. Their rope is braided using a Poly Pro Max yarn and optimized for strength, longevity, and feel. The rope is also pre-stretched, so no more having to tie your new rope to trees in the trailer hitches to break them in. It's good to go the second you buy it. To see their entire selection of pro-quality rope, and gear, check out www.masterlineusa.com. Presented by Sea Deck Marine Products, it's the Golden Mike Podcast with the noise of the North, Dano the Mano. And we're back. I had a lot of fun talking to John D. John Dryling. Guys, actually, our entire conversation lasted about two, two and a half hours, and I felt like we could have kept going for, like, double that. John's such a good talker, 
But I know you guys have things to do, so I wanted to give you the very best bits. So we did cut it down a bit. I want to thank John Dryling again for being so open and so insightful. It was awesome getting to know more about his journey, and I'm sure he's got some major things coming up on the horizon, especially now with Slingshot Wakeboards in his corner. As for what I've got coming up, I'm off to Alexander City, Alabama for the 2019 Nautique Southeast Regatta. That's June 28th through the 30th. For those who don't know, this is an exclusive event for Nautique boat owners featuring private clinics with Nautique athletes, a poker run, a golf tournament, among other fun events. A little bit different from what I'm usually up to, but definitely tons of fun. The following weekend, Friday, July 5th, and Saturday, July 6th, Knoxville, Tennessee at the Malibu Boats Factory, Malibu Factory Pro. Then July 12th, 13th, and 14th in San Angelo, Texas for the Malibu Boats Rider Experience, stop number three. And the following weekend in Lake Anna State Park, Sponsylvania, Virginia for stop number four of the Malibu Boats Rider Experience and the WWA North Wakeboard Regional Championships. Then July 24th through the 27th, capping off the month of July in Monroe, Washington for the Nautique Boats WWA Wakeboard National Championships. That's a lot of events coming up, my friends, and that's only July. Thank you all for listening and an enormous thank you to the sponsors of this podcast for their continued support. Thanks to SeaDeck Marine Products, Boulder Boats, Masterline USA, Centurion Boats, WSIA, Roswell Marine, O'Brien, Ledwake, Conley, Ronix, Hyperlite, and GoPuck. Thank you, John Dryling. Behind the scenes, a special thanks to Jenner Carruth on the web, Jane Levy in the office, Arthur Shabashavich on copy, and Rich Walsh on the sound. That's it. That's all for me, folks. I want to thank you all for tuning in and listening. As always, I am the Noise of the North. I'm Dan of the Mano, and you can hear me next time. Once again, right here on the Golden Mike Podcast.